This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman, and I am a dental division director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey. I am located in Southern California. Our offices are in Tustin, and I live in South Orange County in the city of Laguna Beach. And this year, 2023, my goodness, it's going by so fast. We are now right near the end of 2023. I believe this podcast is going to come out either in late October or early November. We're recording it here in the middle of September. And, uh, you know, there are two huge topics in dentistry that I am I'm not focusing every podcast on, but I'm focusing several of them on. One of them is how to hire and retain good dental team members. We've had, we actually have had one that uh, just came out, I believe, or will come out shortly. I have to look at the schedule um, with my friends from the California Dental Association regarding that topic. And the other one is your relationships with PPOs and insurance companies. Now, there's two ways that you can deal with insurance companies. You can either get out of dealing with insurance companies. And the ADA has come out with a statistic that one out of every six dentists is going to drop one or more PPOs, go out of network. Or for the other five out of six of you, you can do what you can to maximize your reimbursements with these insurance companies. And my guest today, Shelly DeGroff of PPO Advisors, is the expert on how to do this. This is what she does every single day of her life. She works with hundreds, and I think she told me she works with about you know, 1,200 dentists a year in trying to get the best possible reimbursements if you do choose to be in network with insurance companies. So we're going to talk to Shelly in a little bit about that. A lot of talking about, uh, you know, what if you're starting a practice? What if you're a mature practice? Uh, what if you're a group practice? We're going to cover all of that for you in a little bit. Um, I want to tell you that we're getting towards year-end tax planning season. And folks, my job on this podcast in part is to increase the deficit of the federal government. And what that means is every one of you needs to, in my opinion, meet with your CPAs in the months of November and December. 
Uh, October 15th uh, is the final individual tax deadline. And once we get past October the 15th, we go ahead and we start uh, making the appointments for every client that will talk to us uh, to come into the office or to do a Zoom or Teams call and do a planning session. So if you are not getting that phone call from your CPA, if you're not doing year-end planning, if every year you get a call on April the 12th that says, hey, doc, uh, Dr. Wiederman, you owe $50,000 to the IRS and you have to pay it in the next three days. Because remember, if you get an extension on April 15th, and it is an extension of time to file, but not to pay. If you're getting these surprises or when, or your CPA is not doing what he or she needs to do to reduce your tax liability, talking to you about uh, equipment purchases and pension plans and uh, having you know, family members on the payroll, if appropriate, please give me a call. My number is 657-279-3243. And my email is a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at idebailey, E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. So before we get to Shelly, I spent this last weekend up in San Jose, California at the California Dental Association Convention. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I am very tight with the folks at CDA, Katie Fernelli and Matt Nelson and Anders Bjork and all the wonderful folks up there. Um, folks, I want to encourage you again. If you are not involved in organized dentistry at the local, state or national level, please get involved. I mean, organized dentistry, I, I use CDA as an example. They do so many wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things for you. So many resources. And with the challenges that you guys have with your dental teams, with overhead, with inflation, and with insurance companies, which is very real, which we're talking about today with Shelly, um, if you don't fight for your profession, nobody else is going to fight for your profession. So you need to get involved. But I want to share, I, I don't, you know, in this life, everything is hard. You know, everything is hard, I think. Uh, it's hard to get things done. It's hard with friends and family and business and everything. And I think we have to celebrate some of the things in life that are good. And I'm going to, I don't pat myself on the back often on this podcast, and I'm not going to make a habit of doing that because that's kind of self-serving. And I, I just don't do that. Uh, but, you know, besides the fact yesterday I shot an 85 on the golf course uh, and I, and I parred a hole number 17 at Tahara's Creek that I, I usually double or triple bogey. That was a great day. But I was getting on the airplane uh, at John Wayne Airport on my way up to San Jose uh, last Thursday. And I was in the, uh, in the line to go through security and you have to take off your shoes and your belt. And I, I, was, I had a very nice lady right behind me and she grabbed a tray and she said, excuse me. And we did pleasantries and I don't know how the comment came up, but she says, you must be like a parent and own a business or something. I said, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a, a dental CPA. Well, there was a gentleman behind him. I will not mention names or where he's from. And the gentleman behind her says, yes, this man you're talking to is one of the most iconic dental CPAs in the world. And he saved my butt during the pandemic with all of his podcasts and webinars talking about the PPP and, and all the loans that are out there in the government programs. And I, I didn't remember him. I, I heard the name. I didn't remember him. Very, very nice man. And he is a podcast listener. He told me. 
And he thanked me for that. And then when I got up to, and, and that was, that like made my whole month. And when I got up to San Jose, I was in a couple of lectures that I did, one of the lectures I did, and I was attending another lecture. And I had two or three other doctors who came up to me and said, Art, I want to thank you for what you did during the pandemic. And, and I'm very proud of that. That's part of my legacy. And the reason I bring that up is, A, it was really cool. And B, doctors, when you have, don't, don't dwell on the bad stuff. Don't dwell on the patient that absolutely made you want to go home and throw up. Dwell on a patient that you've changed their life for their better. Their smile is now amazing. And, and they just have a completely different opinion of themselves because that's what you're about. So we all have to celebrate the victories. And that's the point that I wanted to make today. So again, if you want to get a hold of me, 657-279-3243, awederman at idbailey.com. Be sure to check out our new I'd Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. All right. So let's get to my guest, my, my friend, Shelly uh, DeGroff. Shelly has a company called PPO Advisors. So Shelly, I'll let her tell her tell you a little bit more about her when we get her on here. But uh, she was an office manager for a private practice. Uh, and back in 2013, after she had spent many years working in this private practice and helping uh, her doctor um, increase reimbursement, she said, wow, maybe I can do this as a career. This is pretty cool. And that's exactly what she did. And that led to her uh, she left her job and dedicated herself full time to PPO advisors, and she works, as I mentioned, with uh, over a thousand dentists. And um, now, the cool thing about Shelley is that she grew up on a farm in rural Nebraska. She's got uh, went to University of Nebraska. Uh, I've been to three Nebraska football games, and I won't bore you with those stories, folks. But uh, number one, they know how to tailgate, and uh, it is a really fun thing. If you ever get a chance to go to a game in Lincoln, it's really really cool. But um, Shelly is, again, the uh, founder and CEO, or as my late mother used to say, chief cook and bottle washer for PPO Advisors. And uh, Shelly, welcome, Shelly DeGraff, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, now, I understand that you and your husband own a farm. It's near Ithaca, Nebraska. Tell me about, I mean, that's the, let's see, we've got PPO Advisors and farm. Tell me about your farm. Yes. Well, if you're in rural Nebraska, the only things you really do is farm or work in dental. So that's the whole thing. <laughs> that's it, huh? There's no, there's no physicians. There's no, no ar architects. It's just dental or farm. Okay. I got that's, it. That's, yep. That's how it kind of goes around here. So yeah. So I married into a farm family, came from a farm family and uh, my husband is a cattle rancher. So we have about 400 cow-calf uh, pair operations. So we raise beef as well. But then really interesting fact, um, Costco. So I know most of our listeners shop at Costco. Um, Costco decided that they did not like how the poultry market was working and they didn't like what was going into the birds feed-wise. So they decided to create their own plants, their own system, their own operation. And we are custom chicken growers for Costco. Wow. So basically, so if I go into Costco here in Southern California, 
can I find like a uh, rotisserie chicken Shelly approved or is there, a, or is there, well, what does it say on there that I know it's one of your chickens? Cause I don't want, now I don't want to buy any other chicken other than your chickens. <laughs> Absolutely. So I wish they'd let me put my stamp on there, but they, I'm still working through that process. Uh, but if they say flash froze or flash chilled, those come from the plant in Nebraska and those birds have been through my barn at one phase of their life or not. So they're high, high quality birds. They are. Good yep. birds, happy birds. Happy, so happy. One, one more question. Who behaves better? Your four children or the cattle on your ranch? Mm, you know, they're all kind of feral. I'm not going to lie. Every <laughs> girl. <laughs> I've got oh. four great kids. They're wonderful. Big into rodeo. They keep me busy. Um, so it's it's just the best of all worlds here. That is so cool. Thank, thanks for sharing that. Again, I, I I love getting to know my guests and what they're into, and this is this is very very interesting. And I love rotisserie chicken, so I will be I'll be looking for your rotisserie Good. chicken. All right, well, let's start our discussion, Shelley. So, like I mentioned earlier, the ADA has reported that one out of six dental practices are going to drop one or more insurance plans. You're talking to dentists every single day. We've had a pandemic. We've had rampant inflation, eight to nine percent a year for two or three years. It's still not done. We're, I mean, we're not back to two percent. We're not at eight percent, but it's still going up. Uh, costs are going up out of control in dentistry, and insurance companies are, of course, raising reimbursements by fifty percent. Right? No, they're not. So we know they don't do that. Tell me what you're hearing from your clients. You know, every client really has the same story. They're frustrated. It's overwhelming, it's time-consuming, it's uh, non-transparent, so the struggle is is really the same across the board, whether you're specialty, general practice, everyone is experiencing the same insurance struggle. Um, and you're right, that statistic is spot on. Dentists are starting to remove themselves from contracts, and, and I'm glad to see that. I've never been a Yes, our, our whole business model is helping you do better with insurance, but that doesn't always mean being involved with insurance. A lot of the, the analytics and statistics of what we do is figuring out if you should drop some insurance. And that conversation is always being spoke now. Right. And but uh, so they're frustrated and you're hearing a lot of them. The, the, again, there's there, there's three ways to deal with insurance, Shelley. One is to do nothing, and we know that's not a good answer. The other is to try and negotiate with these folks, and the, and the third is to to drop them. So let, let's get some in, into some granule into. First of all, how do the insurance companies who make the rules? How do they set the um, the fee schedules for reimbursements? How, give give us some insight into how that works. Absolutely. So fee schedules are set via zip code. So every zip code has a baseline fee schedule. That's based off of, you hear about UCR analysis, so a, a master fee schedule for each dental practice. That's based off of data that runs through those clearinghouses that go directly to insurance companies on what the average master fee is per code. So you'll hear me talk a lot on educating providers to increase your master fees every year. Stay on top of that, because if you are never increasing your fees, the insurance companies have no reason to increase theirs, which goes into also submitting full fee on insurance claims as opposed to just PPO fee. So we're very, um, you know, pushy on make sure you're looking at all those things. Um, but, yeah, the insurance companies make all the rules. 
Um, unfortunately, we're stuck having to play by a lot of their rules, but really looking at insurance as a game is kind of the approach we have to take now. It's a game. And, and we want providers to realize that there are more than one way to play the insurance game. And really, PPO Advisors is passionate about the education on that, making sure you know what your options are so you can make the next move with your opponent. And the thing you have to remember, folks, is they don't only make money off of paying you or contracting with you. At And my my statistics show 38 to 42% is the average discount. Does that sound about right to you? That is so spot on. Yep. Yeah. So 38 to 42%. I mean, if you go into, okay, so we'll use an analogy. Costco prices Shelly's chickens at, I don't know. What what what's it what would it cost if I go and buy your chicken? Twelve dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars? I don't know. A rotisserie chicken is four ninety nine or five. Shows you what shows you what I know about chicken, right? Okay, so imagine that Costco had to price their chicken at two dollars and fifty cents instead of four dollars. Now, Costco will not make a profit if they do that. Same thing with you guys is is thirty eight to forty two percent. But not only do the insurance companies make money off of that, they also make money of how they charge employers too, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And it, it's 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 you know I've been to lectures where you see what insurance company executives make, and it's it's we're not going to go down that road, but it's so we're playing a game, and that's what this conversation today is about. How do we play the game? So that's how they set the fees. All right. So let's start, Shelly, with a dentist thinking about maybe they're just starting a practice um, and they're taking PP and they're going to say, gee, I'm starting a practice. I have no patients. Um, I'm going to sign up for every PPO. I've got to take that. Or maybe a dentist who says, I'm a fee-for-service practice, but I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs three quarters of the day because I can't get fee-for-service patients. All right. So. What about that doctor? Talk about that doctor who's just going to start going down the road in 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 contracting with PPOs. And, and we're not we're not. By the way, Shelley, you and I are not saying it's right to do it or it's wrong to do it today. We're not. That's not what this is about. We both have a bias towards changing the relationship, but that's not what this conversation is about. This is how to deal with it. So, starting out, going to go contract. How do we do it? You really need to understand your own demographic. You need to understand the the flow of patients. Where are they coming from? Where where what is your economic um, relationship with patients? Are you blue collar? Are you white collar? Um, are there you know mines and mills and what what is your flow of patients? Right, and then from there you get to look at okay, if I'm going to go and network to obtain more patients in my practice. What percentage am I looking at? What percentage do I want in? Do I need to sign up with every insurance? No. And that is unfortunately what we we tend to see happen is providers that don't get enough support in learning how to negotiate or contract with insurance feel as though if we just sign up with everything, a flow of patients will come in. Well, then the reality is All of the networks are connected one way or another, right? So now you're overly contracted. You have too much dependence. You've signed up for things that added other things that you didn't expect to happen in the practice. And now you're you're drowning in PPOs. So the most important step here is understanding your demographic, but then understanding 
how that relates to certain PPO contracts. Are you signing up for just what you want? Or are you, in addition, going to be picking up multiple other payers as a result of that contract? And what is the long-term success of this contract? Contracting is now probably the most difficult thing any startup practice or acquisition practice is going to experience because they don't know what they're getting. And the contracts aren't written in a way that you can just easily glance over it and go, oh, this is this is a good contract. Now you're being trapped. Now you're being added to other things. Now you can't get out of contracts. So the, the knowledge of what you're getting yourself into is really that first most important step. Do you find dentists just sign the, on the dotted line? They don't read the contracts? All the time. All the yeah. time. All right. So let me ask you, let, let's get a little more granular here. Number one. It, and we're going to pick on one insurance company. It's going to be called XYZ Insurance. That's what we're going to use all day long, right? Okay. Sure. So I want to I want to go in network with XYZ Insurance. I heard they have good reimbursements. Can I, in this world that you live in, can I just sign up with XYZ? Or is XYZ going to make me sign up with ABC, DEF, GEH? How, how does that how does that work? I think, I think in my I've heard they call them trains, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Walk through how that works. So unfortunately, most contracts anymore are not just one and done. So almost all direct contracts, and you'll hear me talk or you'll see verbiage on my website that say indirect, direct, umbrella contracting, shared contracting. So a direct contract is going directly with XYZ, that one particular insurance company, right? But very few XYZ companies don't have subcontracts tied to them. Very, very few. Um, And that when you do go to a direct contract, uh, I am going to throw a couple names out here. Your ones that don't have typical add-ons are going to be your state-specific insurance companies. Each state has their own state-specific companies. So you have your deltas of each state, your blue crosses of each state, and then um, additional just own state-built insurances. Those don't typically have the add-ons, but all of your national carriers, they do. They all do. So there's a backdoor agreement to almost every contract. Now, I've also heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, because it's my podcast, I'm I'm right 95% of the time, not 100, okay? But my understanding is, is that in some of these contracts, if I'm starting with XYZ and according to the contract, I'm also contracted with eight other plans, don't they have the right to reimburse me at the lowest fee schedule in many cases of those eight plans? Most favored nations clause. <laughs> okay. And so not I'm, enough. I'm in my 95% wheelhouse. Good. <laughs> You're in there. You are so right. So the most favored nations clause. And when I say that, when I talk to providers, they're like, what is it? What is, I thought that was, you know, a historical term for government things. It works in dental. So the most favored nation clause comes into effect with all contracts. They have the ability and the right to find the lowest fee schedule they can attach to within your practice, which is why you can't sign up for every contract because there's overlap. So XYZ, you went direct, but then you also did ABC direct on another contract. Well, XYZ, ABC have overlapping agreements, and now they can find the lowest fee schedule amongst each other. 
So by just signing up for a bunch of plans, and this, and I'm now talking to people who are starting practices from scratch, and there are a lot of you out there. Do not just sign up willy-nilly for every single insurance plan, or you're basically cutting off your legs, right? You are. You are. And even if you're going strategically, I'm only going to sign up for three plans. Know what those three plans state and their contract, because there's good direct contracts out there that you can't ever get an increase out of if you sign it. Meaning the only way you're ever going to do better and get an increase is to term it. And do you want to do that? So those are the consequences of not understanding or not asking the experts that can quickly give you the right or wrong answer to make those decisions. Okay. Now, this is a big question, and this is a lot of what you do. We talked a little bit about it before we turned on the record button today. Um, I know at the beginning, years ago, insurance companies negotiated I hear they don't negotiate a whole lot anymore. In fact, I've, I've even heard stories of some insurance companies that if you try and negotiate, they will just terminate you as a member of their plan. That That is a lot of what you're doing, right? Are, are you on the phone negotiating with insurance companies these days? And how does that work? What can you get? I'm assuming they know who you are and, and people like you. Yep. I, I, don't, yep. I don't mean to put you in a, in a box or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but the point is, is, how does that work? How do you, what, what can you do and what can't you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I do, we do negotiate. Um, so the, there are networks that do not, that will not, um, it, it would be very wrong for them to terminate a provider because they asked for an increase. Um, but I wouldn't put it past any of the insurance companies to do something to that extreme. Most of the insurance companies negotiate. Now, how you work your negotiation is where your success lies, right? So calling a network and asking for an increase usually results in them transferring you to a department that doesn't exist, getting cut off, and you never actually making contact with someone who can help you. Um, Then the other side of that is, If you do successfully negotiate a good fee schedule, if you don't stack your contracts to where the most favored nations clause can't impact it, then you've done all of that work for nothing. So it's a two layer issue. You have to negotiate and you have to know how to stack your contracts in order to actually see the success. So negotiations happen. Networks negotiate based off of how many providers are currently signed up how many members are in that area and how many providers have signed up on lower fee schedules than what you have. So they're looking at how much longer can we keep providers going on these low fee schedules before everyone just terms us because it's so bad. To, to use a term that you and your husband might be familiar with, how long can we milk these people, right? Yes. That, yes. That's a farm term, right? Absolutely. There we go. Okay. And it totally works in dental too. Dental, same thing, right? So, uh, right. But, but, um, so what about the, because I tell people when, and I do dental practice brokering and I negotiate partnerships, I've done this for 40 years. And I, and I tell my family, any business negotiation, before you go into it, you have to look at what is your leverage. Now, in most cases, 
your only leverage is you can go to that insurance company and imagine if you're listening to this that I'm thumbing my nose right now, and I'm going to say, I am going to drop you. So if they call the insurance companies and they say, you know what, I'm just dropping X, Y, Z. What are they going to say? They're going to, are they going to, they're going to say, we'll get back to you. And they'll look at their statistics and say either, well, we've got 30 other providers within a five mile radius. You can do whatever you want. We don't care. Or maybe we'll make you, how does that work? Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, Honestly, it's a 50, 50. I tell my clients, if you're to the point where you're ready to term and use that as your leverage for getting an increase, be prepared to term. You can't just go in throwing that in as this is my tactic to get an increase. I'm going to threaten a term, send my term letter and hope that they come back with something better. Because as this as it looks right now, the networks don't really care if you want to be a part of them or not. So, no. yes. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, just to that point, that used to be what consultants would say is, oh, we're just going to throw a tactic of terming. And then they'll come back with a call and say, no, 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 we can't lose you. We're going to give you X, Y, Z in fees. And then you negotiate further and it's great. That rarely happens anymore. So even though one out of six dentists are looking at dropping or changing relationships with insurance, I'm sure the insurance companies know what's going on in the market. What are they? Th- is it just business as usual for them? Or are they getting nervous or what do you, what do you, what do you see? In all honesty, I, I see them making the game more complicated to where they don't care if providers threaten with terms because they have it so convoluted that they know if you term, they'll retain you through a shared contract you most likely don't know about. So you think <laughs> you're going to go out with XYZ. They see that by looking at how you're contracted elsewhere and they're like, sure, term. That's fine. We don't care. We're going to keep you. You don't realize we're going to keep you, but term. It's fine. Okay. Um, so they're, they're, they're playing hardball. These insurance companies are really playing hardball. Um, and the reality is most of your increases rarely come from a direct contract. It comes from a reorganization of all contracts in your practice and well, this, looking this, at funds work. This, this kind of leads me into, I, I'd like you to talk a little bit, Shelly, about what PPO Advisors does if I if I'm a dentist and I've got a bunch of PPOs and I'm just frustrated, I'm working harder, I'm making less money, and I tell people, I say, you know, it's not that you need new patients. Most of you don't need if you're getting 12 to 18 or 20 new patients a month and they're good quality patients and you're doing quality work and you've got get great relationships. You're not making money, not because you're not getting enough new patients. You're not making money because there is no business model. You are making 33 to 37% net profit. I've been doing this for almost 40 years. That is what dental practices earn as an average. Some earn more, some earn less, but 33 to 37. If I'm discounting my fees, 38 to 42, you don't need to be a CPA to figure out, doctors, that you're losing money. You might as well hand them checks as they walk out the door. So, Shelly, talk about, you know, I have a doctor who's listening to this podcast who's frustrated. They're great clinicians. They're caring, wonderful. My listeners, in fact, in order to um, register for my podcast, you must be caring, trusting, and wonderful. And my all my listeners are. You all know that, okay? 
but they're frustrated, like you said. So what can you tell me about what your company does, what you do, how you work with people? Absolutely. And listeners, don't feel like you set yourself up for this trap that you're in. The insurance companies are really good at manipulating the game. So what was working for you as a PPO practice 10 years ago does not work anymore. And that's just what we have to deal with. So how we help providers through that is we're very educational in terms of I want a practice to know what I know so they can make educated decisions. So we're going to break down and analyze 12 months of their insurance productivity. We're going to see how much, how many codes they've submitted with each individual insurance company, how much they're writing off, how many providers in their area are also participating in these contracts. So we know what you can tell that there's information that tells you how many providers are. Well, that's right. I just go on to the insurance company's website and it tells me who the providers are, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Look for a provider. Yep. It'll tell you right there. So we'll do a, a completely free analysis up front of their current participation with insurance, the impact, how it's looking. Plus then we will, we will do all of our negotiations up front. So we will then contact the insurance companies, negotiate directly, indirectly, and then show the practice These are your options, okay? You can get an increase by restructuring, which means you're going to drop a contract, maybe pick up a new one, but the increase in doing that is 20%. Or you could go out of network and going out of network, then we're looking at the the number of patients impacted, um, the retention availability to that patient base, meaning how many are gonna stay with you. And then if you're doing less work, on that patient base, but getting your full fee, how many patients can you afford to lose? What is the the health of your practice? Are you booked out X amount of weeks, months, uh, operatory wise? Are you at capacity? All these things that you talk about with your clients as well, we look at. And then we put together a report to give them all the options and the pros and the cons of that. You need to know when a a consulting company finds an increase of 35% with a particular company, what's the pro, what's the con? Because there's always a con to the pro. So there's, there's nothing that's going to be just, oh my gosh, this is the best thing you ever told me with insurance, right? I'm going to make so much more money. You are. But there's going to be a pro that comes to it. That may be going out of network for 120 days. Can you and your front office staff handle those conversations with patients? So things like that, that the education up front needs to be given so you can make then the best decision for your practice with the facts, the facts and the transparency need to be laid out first. So that's what we do. So what? And, and in a second, I'm going to let you give out your contact information. But what I mean, you you just said a, l- a couple of minutes ago that these insurance companies are getting tougher and tougher and more aggressive and smarter. What kind of success are you having in getting people more money? I mean, at the end of the day, if and again, I folks, you know me five years now, five years in December, we've been doing this podcast. Um, I, I don't have to. Pr- I only bring on the best people to educate you. Um, but Shelly, you know, how, how are you having success getting people more money? That's what, that's what your job is, right? That is what my job is and we're thriving. So of the thousand patients that we work with typically in a year, 
it is very rare that we cannot find increases for every provider we work with. Um, so again, we're not going to push go insurance, go insurance. Some of the increases come from terming certain insurances and looking at what the success of that can bring to a practice and then opening up chair space for better producing insurances as well. So I'm always going to look at this as the overall health, not just the PPO health of the practice. So you're, you're looking, you understand the business of dentistry, obviously. Um, so, um, Shelly, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, uh, I don't know how you work. You do a complimentary consult. What, what you do, uh, give out your kind, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Absolutely. So if you go to our website, ppoadvisors.com, there is a contact us little button. And then that will schedule a a meeting with either myself or someone from my team. And we'll do a a free consult there. But just remember, all established practices get a full on free analysis with negotiations up front. So we are truly showing them what their return on investment is first. So you're so you're you're so you will go in, do an analysis. You will actually get on the phone with the insurance companies and see what before you charge anybody a dime. Or we charge them a dime. And then we will show them the fees the insurance company gave us as their proof that this is what you should see when you're done with our services. Transparency is key. So you're taking a risk that you might be spending time and might not get a client. Yes, that is exactly right. But but I'm guessing that once you finish with that, you probably get most of these folks because you can show them how you can save the money. And we get the ability to build the relationship first. We want to make sure we're the right fit. They're the right fit for us. You know, we need a practice that that wants to make changes, not just hoping and, and, and wants a quick fix. It's, you know, we want practices like the types of practices you guys have that are into their business, wanting to do better and want to learn through the process as well. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so let me let me ask you this. Let's get into some more discuss. Uh, so you gave out your website. That's the best way to get a hold of you, right? Or call us directly. So that what's, what's the phone number? Yep, 913-379-7800. And or I'm sorry, just, 359-7800. Or just dial Go Huskers. Would that work too? No, I'm just kidding. That works too. So actually, <laughs> I'm from Nebraska, but the rest of my team is located in Kansas City. So go Chiefs. Ah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you got a pretty good football team there. I'm a huge, 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 huge football fan. So, Shelly, let's talk for a minute about the difference between a doctor in downtown Atlanta versus a doctor maybe out in Ithaca, Nebraska. Yeah. How do we? How? How? What's the difference between a doctor in a metropolitan area in this discussion versus a doctor in a, we'll call it a rural or non-metropolitan area? Absolutely. So your your rural areas obviously have less members and they're going to have higher fees because they do need to attract from a bigger demographic, right? So a provider in Ithaca is going to pull from 16 surrounding towns and all of their varying employment bases, where Atlanta, right, you're looking at a 
a zip code, a five digit zip code. And most of those patients are going to pull from there. And there's going to be hundreds of doctors that are in network with that same insurance right there. So they are less competitive in some of those bigger metro areas. But again, insurance is all connected and shared. So insurance company ABC may share its network out seven other ways. That means there are seven negotiable fee schedules for insurance company ABC. And if you're not playing them against each other, doing your research and contracting to the highest one, and then stopping most favored nations clause from impeding that... You're never going to see this success. And that's really what we're doing is we're we're putting the, the pieces all together and eliminating the stuff that doesn't need to be there so that they can see that success. And the insurance company knows that, that and again, you're not the only person in nope. dentistry that does this work, but they also know that the people like yourself who do this work are the very, very minority, if you will. I mean, there's very few there's 200,000 dentists in the United States. I don't know how many dental offices, but I mean, I'm going to say one or 2% or 5% of them use someone like you. So they, they go, they probably even build it into their model that, okay, Shelly's going to nail us for some money, <laughs> but the other 95% of these guys are going to sign the contracts and we're going to get rich. And so talk, let's talk for a second, Shelly, about the, you know, you don't just wake up one day drop the plans and send a letter to your patients to say, hey, by the way, guys, here's the deal. We're not in network with you anymore, but we'd sure like you to come see us. <laughs> how much into this discussion of how to do this do you get? Very in-depth because I that is a big move. And it's a move that a lot of providers want to take, right? We want to be able to be that fee-for-service practice. Um, not everybody, but as frustrated as all providers are, I understand why they want to be in that model. Um, but there's a lot of conversations and a lot of lead up that needs to, to take place before you pull the plug on everything. Uh, that's typically not my approach. Our approach is to improve upon the absolute best we can. And then if your ultimate goal is to be fee for service, it is going to be a process of many years you know, maybe three, maybe five to phase out to that, to make sure that you can sustain and you have other resources in place in office membership plans, uh, marketing, you know, things in place to make sure you can succeed as that fee-for-service model. So let me ask you another question just popped into my head. Isn't it true? I sound like I'm a litigator. Isn't it true, Shelly, on the night of, no, I'm just kidding. Isn't it true that when you go out of network with many of these insurance plans, these insurance plans are going to send the patient a letter that says, hey, patient, by the way, looks like Dr. Um, Dr. DeGroff has gone out of network with our insurance company. We just want to let you know that you've got a bunch of wonderful providers that still take our insurance and you should really go to them and leave your dent. Does that happen on a regular basis? It's like you read the letter verbatim. It's exactly what they send. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And when we talk to providers through our, our free analysis, those are the, the things we tell them. This is a con. Your patients are going to receive a letter. You no longer, you as a provider are choosing to leave the network and leave the patients high and dry is what they're telling them. And here's a list of providers in your exact zip code 
you know, from your house or from your employment, whatever it is that take your insurance, go to them, you would save X amount of dollars. Um, and, and also what's happening is providers that have never been insure, uh, in network with insurance ABC, as they, as their patients receive letters and EOBs, there'll be documents that say, we see you're going to an out-of-network provider. If you'd have gone to this provider or this provider, which is right across the street, you would have saved X amount. So they're always peddling their patients to go and network. Which is why doctors, as I understand it from the consultants I've talked to, people like yourself, Shelly, you, if you want to go out of network with XYZ insurance, you probably need to talk to every patient it, that has is contracted with that insurance. And it's probably a one-year process before you actually terminate with that, right? Yes, at least a six-month to where you can get them in on that first cycle of their hygiene. Um, but yes, and, and success stories are so phenomenal with providers going out of network when they do it the right way. Um, and you'll hear from providers that say, we, we finally made the decision to pull the plug on XYZ. It was scary. We did all the steps the right way. And it's been the best thing we've done. And our patients are happy. They're staying with us. We maybe lost a few, but of the few we lost, they came back. They like us. They like our relationship with them. Here, here's the thing that you have to remember, doctors. Again, this is a discussion between Shelly and I. Number one, the amount of money that the insurance company is going to pay is negligible in compared to most of your treatment plans. If we're talking about it like medical insurance, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's a different conversation. But we're talking maximums of one to two thousand dollars a year in many cases. That's that that's number one. Number two is, and, and again, I'm required, like I say, to do math on these podcasts because I am a CPA. If you are discounting your fees by 40% and you lose 40% of your patients because you go out of network, you're going to make exactly the same amount of money and you're going to work 40% less. Did I do that right, Shelly? did it great. Yes. Well, good. Because here's the deal. You and, and doctors, here's what I want you to be thinking when you go to bed tonight and you have this after you listen to this podcast and you have this nightmare of I know I need to do this and Art and Shelley said we need to do this and I'm scared to do this because I'm going to lose patience. Doctors, you are going to lose patience. There is no doubt. There is nobody that I know of who has ever gone through this process who has retained at the outset 100% of their patients because there are people out there who see you and me and other professionals as a commodity. And then you have to decide, is that the type of patient you want in your practice, right? Spot on. Yeah. Yes. So, so doctors, if you can retain, I don't know, do you have a number in your mind, Shelly? Is it 80%, 85%? What's your goal when, when you talk to a doctor about and they say, I'm going out of network? Because not only are you negotiating, but they say to you, can you help me? Do, do you do the consulting on this too, where you give them verbal skills or do you work with consultants? Yes, we actually give them letters. We give them verbal skills on how to talk to patients, little little write-outs that the front office can laminate and keep up front. Um, but but when you ask, and I maybe you have a different number in hand, but from what we see of our clients, when they term a provider, 
and and it's a big provider, right? It's it's one of their bigger insurances in the practice, and they term that. Typically, they lose about forty five to 50% of that patient base when they send their letters out explaining what's going to happen, right? You want your letters to go out before the insurance company sends their letters explaining why this is happening. And then of that, we'll just say 45%, 50% that leave, typically they'll see 15 to 20% come back. So a net of about 70% retention. Exactly. But- But if I have spoken to all of my patients face-to-face, one-on-one, before I even tell the insurance company, don't I have a much better chance because they're going to get the letter and go, yeah, I get the, oh, yeah, well, Susie at the front, yeah, she explained that to me. Oh, no problem. Rip up the letter. Do we see that? Yes, absolutely. So communication and education is key to the patients because really as complex as we see insurance the actual patient base doesn't understand it at all. And so they're relying on your staff to guide them as to what are the best decisions. And and with that, I really want our listeners to understand that almost every insurance company has out-of-network benefits. So it's not, oh, you're not going to see patients with benefits when you're out-of-network. It's just that their out-of-pocket expense may be slightly higher. And so those conversations need to be had with the patients so that they understand you still have benefits with us. We're still going to submit the claim. There may be a higher out-of-pocket expense, but, you know, this is what we're rolling that into. This is how we can provide better care for you. There's so many things we can do to retain these patients. So let's take an example. Let's say we're talking about an 1110, an adult profi. And my fee-for-service for adult profi here in Southern California is $130.00. And I'm contracted uh, for $90 with XYZ, okay? And I go out of network. Do you know, are there statistics, what's the typical difference between the $90 that they're contracted and the out of network? Is it is it 10%, 20%? Or is it all over the place? It's all over the place, Art. It really is. Um, and, and, and it's changing all the time, but... When you use code 1110 like you did, most insurance plans are still covering preventative at 100% out of network. So their insurance is going to cover all that. Now they're going through their max benefit a little faster because there is no write-off between that $130 to $90 that you typically would write off. Um, But most plans are going to cover preventative at 100%. Um, So if we use... If I had to throw a number out there, I would say it's about a 10 to 15% difference from in-network to out-of-network. And, and we're talking maximums of 1000 to 2000 We're talking a couple hundred dollars. Now, to some people, that's a lot of money. But again, doctors, think about the types of patients that you want in your practice. You want people who understand that you are giving them total health care, not just for your, their teeth, and that you know, this is why you cannot continue to do this. You cannot continue to use the high quality materials and the high quality labs and have high quality staff. And it's not the patient's problems, but they need to understand. So that's that's where it's it's having a coordinated plan with professionals who understand how to talk to the patients. It's all about relationships. And the most important thing, and, and this is another podcast for another day, 
is doctors, if you don't have a practice where the relationship is based on trust and your patients trust you and will go to the moon for you, you may not be ready to drop insurance plans. It's very simple. So, uh, Shelly, let's uh, we're getting towards the end of our discussion. Let's talk about uh, doctors. We have doctors that listen to our podcast who have multiple locations, uh, two, five, 10, 20. How does that work? Do I have any leverage if I own two instead of one, five instead of one? How, how does that work? You do. So the everybody asks, you know, are the DSOs getting more in reimbursements than we are? Depends uh, on the DSO. If it's a DSO that owns 800 practices, you know they are. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, we see the multiple providers, multiple practice have a lot more leverage with the ability to say, okay, you know, we have five other practices. Um, they can have different TINs. They can have the same TIN. The leverage is the same. So long as there's one component of an owner that ties them all together. Um, so we always say, if you're adding a new associate, make sure you negotiate rates before you add the associate. That's your leverage. That's your your little piece you're dangling in front of the insurance company because insurance companies want new TINs, new NPI numbers for doctors tied to a location. That is That helps them with the quotas. So your insurance companies are working off of quotas, deadlines, just like any other big corporation. You need to know what motivates them. That is a big motivator, having new numbers come in for them. Um, you can cross state lines with same fee schedules. You can find your best fee schedule among your five practices and leverage that and try to get that moved into all locations. There's so many different things you can do to improve upon your fees across all locations. Yeah. Okay. That, that's great information. Let's talk about a doctor who is purchasing an existing practice. Yes. Now, my, I am not a licensed attorney and this is on the air. I'm not a licensed attorney. My understanding is, is that the day that you take over the new the new practice, you are not credentialed with any of these insurance companies. So technically on day one, when you buy a practice, you are an out of network provider for every single practice. Now, that is the what I've been told by the attorneys, but that's not what happens in the real world. Right, Shelley? Wow, you're opening a big can of worms here. I understand, but I'm just saying is, is doctors need to understand that. Yes. I mean, most of the, what happens in the real world, folks, is that, you know, for 60 to 90 days, while it takes you the time to get credentialed, some people might consider billing their, under the old doctor's number. And, you know, I mean, it happens, but realistically, Shelly, if you're buying a practice, that person buying a practice, they really need to be, even though the team doesn't know. See, this is a, a problem we run into in practice purchases. I sell dental practices. The dental team isn't going to find out that the practice has been sold until the money is in the bank. Correct. You really need to start the credentialing process before the money is in the bank, right? As soon as the letter of intent is signed, a buyer should be working with a company like us to get contracting going. Negotiations done, contracting going. But the problem that we have in my real world is that at some point, these insurance companies are going to call the office. Oh, well, I see you're changing to a... And then the team finds out and the whole deal is at risk. So that's, a, that's an issue. I mean... That is a minimal risk if it's done correctly 
with a company like us. So we do, we probably do around 12 acquisitions a month. We do, we are one of the, the, one of many companies. Well, we're actually one of many few companies that do acquisitions. They're very complicated. They're very time consuming. And then the fact that we have the layers of the, the staff doesn't know it's secretive, all of that. There are ways around having the networks call the office and exposing the sale. So that is a very low risk when we work with acquisitions. We understand the fear and we'll have those conversations and those providers can determine if they want to move forward with certain contracts or not. Um, But ideally, when a letter of intent is signed, that they should start working on at least getting paperwork into a company like us, understanding what contracting needs to even take place, not saying things have to be submitted for the ability for insurance companies to mess it up, but at least having the conversations so the time span can be narrowed down. You are right. It takes on average 60 to 120 days to get a provider credentialed under a new tax ID, even if they've been credentialed in the past. That means nothing. Credentialing is done per location, per TIN. Utilizing the seller's identity, meaning their TIN and their own personal, the seller's personal NPI1, NPI1 identifies the provider of service. If a new buyer utilizes that information, they are committing a federal crime of identity fraud. It is easy to catch. And they can lose their license. They can go to prison. They can have fees they cannot recover from. So it is very insurance fraud. It is fraud. It is insurance fraud plus identity fraud. And then when you layer on, if they're seeing Medicaid, Medicare, any sort of governmental program that's in that practice, you've defrauded the government and they like to make a showcase out of you. Okay, so you, you what you're saying to me, and again, I didn't mean to open the can of uh, okay. I love worms, it. <laughs> but we need to have the discussion. We what do. you're saying, what you're saying to me is, it is possible if a doctor just, if a buyer just calls on his or her own, the likelihood is that somebody's going to call the office and tip the staff off. Yeah. But if they're working with a company like yours, you have enough experience. You said you do twelve a month, 150 a year. 144 a year, whatever the number is, uh, you have enough experience, Shelly, that you have had you have had success where they don't call the office and we keep it as you are the one they're contacting. Have you had good success with that? Absolutely. And when we work with insurance companies, we're registered with the companies. We have to sign yearly contracts stating we'll follow the rules. We'll do what we're supposed to do. We're not going to be sharing fee schedules, all the things, right? We have relationships. We work with the same reps all the time. When we tell them this is an acquisition, it's a private, the staff does not know, all communication goes directly to the doctor's email or us. They typically always abide by it. You're right. If you have a staff member, a spouse, a parent helping somebody who's buying a practice, still working as an associate, trying to get this done you are opening that risk for then the insurance company to call the practice because missing information, they don't know it's private, whatever it may be. Yeah, my my company line when buyers, and we only represent in our brokerage, we only represent sellers, but okay. buyers, what Shelly said is absolutely right. The day you take over, you are not in network with anybody unless you've done it before, which 99.99% of you have not. 
So therefore, you need to speak to your attorney about the risks that you are taking if you choose to go down a different road on that. And we will end that discussion right there. Last question I want to ask you, and then we'll let you give out your information one more time. Why, Shelly, is it important for a dentist to have their original credentialing documents and for them to know their renewal dates? Absolutely. So your original contract is going to be your leverage with networks when things are wrong and then renewal dates. So a lot of practices don't realize that every 24 months or every three months or not three months, every three years, the insurance company is required to re-credential a provider. And whether they do that through CAQH or they do that by sending a letter to the office saying, we need you to update your information with us. If you fail to do so, you can fall out of network with a carrier. And then all of a sudden, one day you do large productions and it's all coming back as out of network and there's chaos in the practice. So it's important that you have that as a resource, your original document as a resource to know what you signed up with and then following the recredentialing dates. And also your recredentialing timeline can also help providers get out of contracts that you typically can't get out of and use that as a tool for increasing reimbursements and changing things up down the road. So it's important to know those dates. Okay. So my head hurts now. And um, (laughs) uh, Shelly DeGraff, you are an expert in this. And folks, I am someone who is, I mean, I know I do a podcast. I know a lot about dentistry, but I don't know everything about everything. And I'm certainly not an expert in uh, PPO negotiations, insurance company negotiations. Shelly is. Um, If you are looking at making changes in your relationship with insurance, whether it be going out of network, whether it be trying to get better reimbursements, uh, whether it be whatever you're thinking about, um, you would be well served to give a call to Shelly to see how she and her team might help you. So one more time, Shelly, please give out your um, contact information and how people can get a hold of you. Go to our website, ppoadvisors.com. Go through Contact Us, and that'll put you in touch with either myself or a team member. You can call us directly, which is 913-359-7800, and we will answer your call. We're not automated. We're not a company that's working for anybody else. We are a Midwest-based, ready-to-help, honest, transparent company. Shelly DeGraff of PPO Advisors, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and your great information that you've given to our listeners. And please stay with me as I go ahead and take this out. I uh, need to also thank my wonderful, wonderful partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, www.decisionsindentistry.com, 140 continuing education courses. Um available for a very reasonable price. And folks, I am working with them on the business side of dentistry. They have a new front office magazine. And uh, I was in their offices recently. They have an amazing, amazing, uh, I guess you would call it uh, an AI product. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I, I'm not, I'm too old to understand how all that stuff works. Uh, but the fact is, is they they can, they get their clients on to websites that dentists look at. It's just really unbelievable technology. So you might want to 
give them a call. It's www.decisionsindentistry.com. If you're looking for a dental CPA, uh, give me a call, 657-279-3243, awiederman at idbailey.com. Uh, I'm a member of the Academy of Dental CPAs. That's where I met Shelley as our meeting in Miami uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, www.adcpa.org, 25 CPA firms across the United States that represent about 10,000 dentists. We are uh, we are located in Southern California. And if there's anything that we can do for you, you have questions about anything, if I don't know the answer, um, and I, I know who knows the answer, people like Shelly, and it's just been so wonderful over 40 years to get to know people like Shelly and others where if I don't have an answer to a question, I can get the answer. Again, Shelly, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Appreciate it. And uh, doctors, thank you again for the honor and the privilege of your time. Please tell all of your friends about our podcast. Please tell them to uh, subscribe to the podcast. We'll be keeping you posted. I'm going to be speaking in 2024 in several different venues. I'll keep you posted on that. And of course, I want to thank my wonderful, wonderful marketing partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, www.decisionsindentistry.com. The best clinical magazine uh, on the planet, the best clinical content. Their website has just got all kinds of great stuff. 140 continuing education classes uh, for a very, very reasonable price. And folks, we're going to be um, I've been helping Belmont and Decisions in Dentistry with the business side. Uh, We're doing some great things over the next year, which we'll be able to tell you about. Please go to their website. You can find my podcast there, www.decisionsindentistry.com. And with that, I will call it a podcast for today. This is Art Wiederman, Dental Division Director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey. Um, Wishing you adieu uh, for the art of dental finance and management. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A. W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.